0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Gemma. And Gemma was raised by a selfish, scheming, narcissistic mother. It's a story of generational trauma, sexual abuse, running away, manipulation, obligation, and rising above it all. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today we have Gemma. How are you?
1: I'm doing good.
0: And today we are going to hear your story, and your story has to do with a narcissistic mother. And your mother was someone who liked to play the part of being the mom to the outside world, but really wanted kind of nothing of it in in, behind the scenes and was not the greatest uh, parent to you. And unfortunately for you, she's kind of stuck around in and out throughout your life, making herself seen and then just kind of disappearing a little bit and then kind of coming back. And she's just been around and it's one of these lifelong things you've, been trying to figure out how to deal with, and today you're going to share your story. You're going to help a lot of people, so thank you for being here, and now, without further ado, Gemma, the floor is now yours.
1: Okay. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Your podcast has helped me a lot. Um, Other people's stories have helped. It's just, it's helpful to see that you're not the only one that seems to have this crazy person in your life that you think wow, my life's not like other people's. And then you listen to the stories on your podcast and uh, it's a little similar. My story's about my mother. I've at, Currently, I'm trying to be no contact. Um, I've been no contact since August. Well, trying. There has been contact in there a little bit. Not wanted, but there has been. And she's been having her friends call and leave messages. Her landlord... Who's also an attorney, calling leave messages, trying to reach out, reach out to my husband, which is funny because they can't stand each other to explain her a little bit. She's always got this new friend, this new person in her life that she, that has fallen prey to her playing victim and believes her stories and old, poor, um, I'm going to say Betty, that's <laughs> for her name. Poor Betty, you know, how could all these people do all these horrible things to her? How could her horrible daughter these, do these all these things to her? And so she's always got some friends standing up for her. And so right now, that's what she's been doing is having the friends reach out. But eventually, she only has the friends for about a year. And then she goes crazy Betty on him, which is actually a term one of my cousins, when I met him, said that he knew my mom when they were young. And, like, in their teens and 20s, and that's what they called her. So that was insightful to know that it went back that far. But she always ends up going crazy on them, getting mad at them. Usually they've done her favors after favor after favor, but they haven't done them correctly. So she gets mad and eventually they get over it, or she just uses them up. That's what she does. She uses people up. That's a really good explanation
0: for who she is in general. When it comes to your mom's life growing up herself, what do you know of her upbringing?
1: I know that her mom and dad divorced. I think it was her mom's choice. And then she never really had contact with her dad after that until mm, like she was 50. And her mom ended up remarrying And having two sons with the new husband. So then her grandmother ended up raising her. And her mother was not a nice person in the least bit. So it definitely, I think I heard somebody on a podcast one time mention that maybe their mother was stunted at that age. And sometimes I think, yes, if as a teenager, that's when she moved on to her parents, maybe she got stunted at that age because a lot of things she does is very Childish thing that you would think a teenager rebelling would do, not a grown-ass woman.
0: You know, y- your mom is part of generational trauma, and you are now the one who's trying to put an end to generational trauma. So uh, I guess take us through your your childhood or or when your story begins.
1: Okay. Well, I guess my story really begins with her Is I don't remember, like, before, like, four years old. But I think from one to two, from what I've heard from family and her, it's always trying to piece together my dad's side of the family story and her side of the story. And, well, I don't believe her side of the story. But she says they were together for the first two years. Then he came to pick me up for a visit. I think we were skating. And we lived in Ohio. And he took me to North Carolina. And Two years later, when I'm about four, I think I had just turned five right after this happened, so late four, and she shows up where my dad is keeping me, um, and she tries to take off with me. She comes down, like, this hill where he's at, and she, she, she runs up the hill with me, but at the top of the hill was the uh, my dad's girlfriend's father, because there was, like, a factory up there, and he comes out, and puts a gun to her and my grandma and grandpa and says, give her back. So she does. And the next morning the police came and I, this is, you know, that's all my first, very first memories is that hit running up that hill. And then the police coming and putting a towel over my head and putting me in the police car, they put a towel over my head cause it was raining out or my dad put the towel over my head, put me in the police car. And then that's the last time I see my dad. Um, go to where my mom and grandparents and her attorney are, and they take me back to Ohio. So now I live with her, and then right after that, well, I live with her and her parents. Right after that, my dad ended up dying. He got hit by a car. He was on the road and got hit by a car. He dies, and I'm just stuck with her now. And I don't think I ever felt close to her, Because I didn't grow up with her at that age, you know, like when I was younger. And I think all of a sudden, I don't really remember living with my dad, but I kind of feel like maybe it was somewhat normal because I realized how abnormal, very young, that living with my mom was. And so after my dad died, my mom got Social Security. She got widow benefits for herself and then benefits for me being the child and him dying. So I live with her my grandparents. We live with other people. Some people in my dad's family actually took us in. And then, but when she got the social security and she got like a back payment, she could afford her own apartment. We lived there. And I just always knew things were off just her weird, just to go into one of her crazy stories that told me this isn't okay. And this is what my childhood is now. <laughs> or I guess just like, this is what my life is now. Um, She was hanging out with a friend With my dad's cousin And they went to see Her boyfriend Well I guess he had another girlfriend too And saw them And so that girl got really angry And started yelling at my mom And my mom wasn't dating him But my mom had this new car She had bought with the back payment From social security And she loved this Camaro blue With white stripes up the middle You know, and the girl was yelling and my aunt was saying, or my cousin was saying, this is my fight. Don't get involved. My mom's at the time like 90 pounds, five foot three, but very feisty, I soon realized. And she gets, the girl kicked my mom's car. So then my mom, I remember my mom said, this is my fight now. She gets out and beats the girl up, rips her shirt off jerks her hair out, and then proceeded for a long time to ride around in the Camaro with the blonde hair in the console of the car as a trophy because she was so very amused with herself. Then another time she had this boyfriend, and i th- he was really, really nice. I remember really liking him. I don't know what happened. I'm thinking probably the boating incident was the final straw for him, and that was enough of seeing Crazy Betty. Because we went camping and we had the boat and you tie the boat up on, like to a tire and put the tire around a pole to keep it at the campsite. And we woke up and the boat was in the middle of the lake. So my mom goes, she decides the campsite next to us, the neighboring campsite, they must have taken our tire for their boat and let our boat go out in the water. So she goes over there with a butcher knife after them. And it ends up with police and everything, but, and then they broke up and then it was just me and her and another, just the last story on being like that age with her, we lived in this apartment and you went in the atrium and when we went up, when we were in the atrium one day before we went up to our apartment, I said something and she like backhanded me, like slapped me with the back of her hand across my face and it made my nose bleed and I was really shocked by that. So I don't, I just think that's not something I had seen happening before. And so my nose bled on the ground on the white tile. And every time we went in that apartment from now on, I would just stare at that white tile with my blood on it.
0: And eventually uh, your mom gets into a relationship with someone else and your life gets even more complicated and, and a different type of abuse takes hold.
1: This new boyfriend is not, he's not comfortable. He's probably a great fit for her because they, she liked to fight and they would fight all the time. And they would fight over him not coming home. They Just over everything. She would go in her screaming rage fits and he could rage along with her if he was drunk. And I remember him trying to, they were fighting. He's trying to get in to my bedroom because she's in there, but she's up against the door trying to keep him out. And I remember being in our front yard and him mad at her and he's drunk and he's trying to run over with a car, run over me and her, I guess. (laughs) I don't know if he was targeting me, but I was with her. And we had to jump in a bush to get away from him. And the bush was up against the house. We couldn't get the car there. Um, And then at some, whenever they weren't fighting, He would actually start taking up for me with her, which was a really good end for him. Because if you have this woman who flies off the hook all the time and shows this crazy side so often, it's really easy to come in and be the good guy. The good guy taking up for me, telling her, calm down. It's, you know, you're overreacting. You're acting crazy, you know. So he's taking up for me. And I know he's taking up for me, but I wouldn't say that I still liked him or was comfortable with him because I would also see his alcoholic crazy side whenever he drank. So I never really felt like I trusted him, but he was definitely trying to earn my trust there. You know, he started taking my side, buying me things, letting me have things that she wouldn't let me have, letting me, she would say, no, I couldn't do something. And he would say, no, let her do that, you know she's growing up. You got to let her grow up. You have to let her go out with her, you know, to the mall with her friends. You have to do these things. So taking my side. And I guess that made me, I guess at least I had somebody sticking up for me. I wouldn't say comfortable with him, but I had somebody sticking up for sometimes, but eventually that just, that was just his way of grooming me. And it eventually led to inappropriate touching and sexual abuse. And. I didn't know how to deal with things. I had never. Learned how to deal with things. And I was young. And embarrassed. And ashamed. Like very ashamed. So. I just acted like it wasn't happening. But then. I had this friend that we would go over to. Her house. They. Our parents knew each other. Our moms knew knew each other. And. I guess she had told on her stepdad. And even like when we talked or hung around, you can tell we probably both for that age knew way more about sex than we should. And she ends up telling her mom what her dad is, her stepdad is doing. And my mom is talking to me and telling me this, and it's just being her in the house. And it kind of seemed a moment where seemed to me like a moment where She was actually maybe being a mom, actually caring for a minute and reaching out and trying to be there for me and somehow actually getting my trust a little bit because I just remember us sitting on the couch talking and her telling me this has happened to my friend and saying, if this if anybody ever does that to you, if anybody ever touches you like that, if anybody ever does that, you need to tell me. And so I don't know why, but that moment I was feeling some kind of trust with her, maybe some kind of actual bond that she was saying, I care about you. I want to know if somebody hurts you. I want to be there for you. Just tell me and I'll be there for you. So I made the mistake of telling her. <laughs> and, well, I didn't tell her everything, though, because that was I was way, way too ashamed to tell her everything. <laughs> way too ashamed to admit all the things that had happened or went on. Um, but he had recently because I was like thirteen, fourteen ish. I was probably about thirteen ish then. I had recently like had boyfriends at school, so he had recently just said something to me about kiss me like you would your boyfriend. Ugh, that's just just gross. If you think i oh, would just sorry, but gross. So that's all I tell her because I don't want to get into details. I was trying to act like these details weren't even happening. So I definitely didn't want to get into him with my being so embarrassed. So I just tell her, he told me to kiss him like I would my boyfriend. And I remember I could see the picture in my head so clearly of him walking in the back door. And he looks back in the den at us and she says, did you say this? And he looks at her and he goes, no. And this Tell me everything. Trust me. My moment went to, why did you lie? And that's just, it. it, it's like you feel your stomach drop. It's like a brick just dropped in your stomach. Like, you just were getting my trust for a second. I was letting you have some trust for a second. And you just dropped the bomb on me that, you care if somebody else is doing something to me, as long as it doesn't inconvenience you. If it means you have to lose your boyfriend and this person who helps pay the bills or whatever the deal was with them, she doesn't care that much. That's that's a little too inconvenient. She can, I think of it as she can only focus on how, if that was true, it affected her. So it's easier for it to not be true she ends up telling family members her friends anyone who will listen I lied I was jealous and it always been just me and her like me and her had this great bond and it was just me and her for all these years you know bonded together and now I'm jealous of him taking away my time with her we never had that bond it was never me and her you know it was I was stuck with her this was how life was now. It wasn't a bond.
0: But the story she's telling to the outside world, when you de- do hear them, is that you guys are this unit and this team, which is further nothing further from the truth.
1: Absolutely nothing from the, further from the truth. And that we were this team, and we were so close, and now I'm just really jealous that he's come and invaded our space, and he's taken my time away with her. Okay, before him, she was partying. She wasn't with me.
0: So I guess it's around this time or soon after where you you began to run away.
1: Yes, I started getting in a lot of trouble in school and running away. um, I ran away three times. The third time ended up being the final time. The first time was just like getting off the bus at a friend's house and then not telling her but then the friend's mom eventually figured it out and called her and I got home and she cried and I didn't know where you were. I had no idea where you were. And I felt so horrible that I had done this to her. I remember that thinking I did this horrible thing to her. I worried to her. She actually worried about me. She was worried. I put her through this horrible thing. She was worried about me, but eventually things are just like they normally are and we're fighting and I'm still, at this point, I don't trust her. I don't I don't want to be there. I don't want anything to do with her. I don't trust her. Yes, my stepdad stopped doing anything inappropriate because I told on him. He actually, at one point, asked me, like, I think the same day or the next day, why did you tell on me? Because I had been saying nothing. So if you're saying nothing, I guess to that person that looks like, You were okay with it, but I just, I was trying to act like it wasn't happening. I wouldn't move. It was just like, no, not happening. And eventually I run away to another friend's house, but I think that friend's mom must have kind of known some stuff about my mom because she really, really disliked my mom. Probably the fact that there was also drugs in my house all the time. So she just didn't like my mom and she took me in, but my mom sent My mom had told me to leave that time. She screamed at me and told me to leave. So I went. And then she brings the police to this friend's house. And, of course, I'm losing it, screaming at her with the police and everything. But you told me to leave. They put me in the police car kind of to scare me. And I didn't know that at the time. but And she gets in the car with me. And I, like, moved my legs up to my chest and kicked her out. Because at that time, I was bigger than she was. So I kind of kicked her out with my feet out of the cruiser door. And then after that runaway incident, we had another incident where I ended up getting expelled from school because her and my stepdad were gone to an AA meeting that he had to attend because he'd gotten in trouble and he had a court-ordered AA meeting. And I find, I'm snooping around in their room for some reason. I guess being nosy and I find like a little a little bottle with a lid that has a spoon attached to the lid. And I knew it was some kind of drugs. And then I find the key that goes to the shed that's in our backyard that they're always in. So I take the key and I go out to the shed and I open it up and it's marijuana plants. Lots of them. With um, fluorescent lights growing them. I take that to school because that would be cool if I take it to school right I'll be really cool and I get caught and the principal is ready to expel me you know he's I think he's just thrilled to be able to be done with me because I had been fighting all that time starting fights at school just getting in all kinds of trouble she has, she's screaming where did you get it Then I got it from a boy and I'm going you don't want me to tell and staring her down like Listen, you really don't want me to tell them. Finally, I just said, I'm getting it from your shed where you're growing it. Which, of course, led into some meltdown fights after that. And so then that's about when I turned. And at that point, I just wanted to piss her off. Like, I remember her looking at me after I found the pot. And it was a meltdown fight because the police were going to come and they were going to catch what they'd been doing. And they were just growing it for themselves. They weren't selling it, they weren't doing anything. Now an adult, you don't grow that much for yourself. But so why would I do that to them? It's not a fight that I'm doing the drug. And I actually didn't do it. I just took it to school to kind of be cool. And then so the they didn't send the police or anything actually. I think they just wanted me out of that school and you know, it'd be done with me. But after our fights about the pot and getting expelled and oh my god people are going to find out what they've been doing that was the big thing there they're going to find out what we've been doing and we weren't hurting anybody why did you have to go <laughs> and do this and now people know this and we're going to look bad so at 14 I ran away again but this was the final time and I ran away with a friend from the new school that I'd met at the new school And we went to the really big city near us. But honestly, it was really close. I didn't realize that back then. You know, being a kid, it seemed so big. And we stayed with some guys that were her friends until their parents realized how old we were. And they wanted no part of that and said, get out. So the next day, we stayed at another guy's house that we had met in that running around for a few days and that night he ends up telling me you know you have to have sex with me or I'm going to call the police because you're runaways and a 14 year old that's scary you're gonna call the police on us and I don't want to go home (laughs) And so I just did and cried the whole time And then the next day, as soon as, like, it was daylight, I told my friend we have to get out of here. And we ran off to get out of there. And her brother seen us, like, waiting at a bus stop. And then her brother came in and her parents came in. And I don't know what made her run away. I remember thinking her family seemed so nice (laughs) when they talked to us and prayed with us and sent me to, um, I told them what was going on because I said, you know, They said, oh, do you know what could happen out here on the streets? And I'm like, well, it's already happening at my home, so why do I care? And so that's when they sent me to the runaway shelter instead of taking me back to my mom. Of course, the runaway shelter calls my mom and my mom just, I'm a troubled teenager. I'm lying, blah, blah, blah. Um, But they let me stay at the runaway shelter. They don't make me go back to her. And I guess, I don't know. If she was letting me stay also, she had a choice. But I stayed there for probably a few weeks. Um, Not very long because another girl was in the shelter with me. Convinces me to go to this guy's house with her. And I didn't know it at the time, but I'm pretty sure he was um, like sex trafficking girls. He was a pimp. He was trying to get... I think he was now that I know this and kind of work in a field that has that relation a little bit. Sometimes I think he was probably telling her, go out and bring me another girl. And so I'm at this house with her, but he's having sex with her. And he looks back at me and says, don't worry. You're next. And I'm so thankful. He said that. And I didn't even think about this to telling my husband the story, but he said, you realize when he said that, that's how you got out of there, and that's how you avoided that being your life, because that was like, I think truly, I could have pushed it under the rug, shut up, and let whatever happened happen, and I'd probably ended up in a completely different lifestyle. But when he said, "Don't worry, you're next," I just thought to myself, "The hell I am! Get the hell out of here!" And I ran down those apartment steps and found a payphone because cell phones weren't really a thing back then. And even if they were, I don't know the runaway would have had them. And I called the runaway shelter to come get me. Cause I had no clue where I was. I just found a pay phone and come get me. Or well, while I was running away from that place and finding a phone, she called in and said that I took her there and that I was with him or something. I don't know. So they said, you can't come back but we've had a cousin reach out that wants to take you in. So at that point I got to move in with my cousin who was, she was on my dad's side, but I don't think I'd really met her before then. I didn't remember her. She was married and had a um, child. She was the most caring person. She was incredible. And, she just wanted to take me in to help and have me there and be a mom. And she, she, I can't say enough good things about her. But she had been paralyzed right before that happened. So while she was taking care of me, she's in a wheelchair. And I think I was tr- trying to be good as good as I could be as being a teenager, but I didn't really know exactly how to be good either. So I still wasn't exactly behaving, and it was it was too much. And eventually um her my grandma from North Carolina, also on my dad's side, everybody that ever took me in was my dad's side. That's everybody that ever cared for me was him because of him or his his side of the family. But my grandma comes down and my great aunt to get me and they take me back to North Carolina. And I'm in North Carolina and all of a sudden I don't even know how to explain it. Oh my God, this is home. I belong here. I belong with these people. I have, I meet all these cousins. Everybody keeps coming around and introducing themselves to me. Everybody wants to tell me how the, how they're related to me and who they are. And it's this funny little, like it's the South. And I don't know, um, because you're in Canada, but if you hear like things about the South, but there's this funny little thing about in the South where people live on compounds, like family compounds. Like all the family moves into one place or one, they, there's one giant plot of land and everybody puts their house there. And that exactly describes all of a sudden I'm living on this dirt road and between these two little bridges, that flood every time it gets, rain. every time it rains is houses and houses of people that are my family and all these people that all these cousins I'm going to school with now and hanging out with now and somehow have this immediate bond with, I don't even, how could I have this immediate bond with these people <laughs> that I just met yet? I never had a bond with my mom, but it's just normal and it's just home. And soon after my grandma dies, so I ended up living with my great grandma. But when my grandma dies, I'm in high school. I'm a freshman, and a couple of days after the funeral, my mom's still there. She's came there with the permit. Why on earth she would even come? I guess she did know my grandma, but in my mind, why? Why are you even here? This is you're not my dad's family. You're not this family. I, I'm out of that life. We're there. You stay there where you belong. This is where I belong. And there was a huge fight about like homecoming of all things. It was time to go to homecoming. um, And she said it was inappropriate for me to go. You know, this being the week of my grandma's funeral. Here she was to see me. She was finally getting to see me. You're not going. You're not spending a night out away when I'm here. We're going to leave, you know, in a couple days. And I don't want you going to this instead of spending time with me. And I absolutely lost my shit. I had her up against the wall, just pounding her and punching her. She wasn't hitting back. I remember my one cousin telling me that if she'd have wanted to hurt you, she would have hurt you. You know, she was holding back, not hitting you. But I just, I don't, I mean, I remember having her up against the wall and hitting her. And I think at the time I thought, you know, I don't even think then that I thought it was homecoming, but I know I realized soon after I was like, how dare you don't come in here and play mom. Don't come in here and be my mom. Now don't invade my happy place. Don't invade my home. You're not home. You were never home. Don't come here and act like your mom. Now she had a chance to be mom, but now because she's in front of people, she needs to play mom. So after that, she went back to Ohio, I guess, or wherever she was living then. And I lived with my great-grandma for a while. But she was in her 80s, so we didn't really get along great. I mean, she was trying, but she was she was kind of always known to be a little mean also. But nothing like my mom's family, just very strict. And you're talking about a teenager who's never really had any rules or guidelines or values or morals or anything. So this woman being strict, especially in a meaner way, just wasn't going to fly.
0: When you you were in now this family for at least a year at this point, does your – the hardness of you – you know, dissipate a little bit as far as, you know, keeping people at bay and, and trust? And, uh, if so, like what were the ways that these, you know, cause the way you've trusted people before, they've only broken that trust. So within that, was it just something instinctive within you that you knew I can trust these people?
1: I do think I trusted, um, I didn't get along with my grandma, but I definitely trusted Or my great-grandma. I definitely trusted my great-aunt. And I tell my great-aunt, I send her a card every year, and I always make sure to try to find something that really fits how I feel about her, like being my mom. And she always says, I don't know what I did. I I didn't do anything. I was just, you know, loving and caring. Well, loving and caring is a big difference than what I had lived with. So it made a big deal. So I was definitely... I didn't try to impress my great-grandma or obey her rules, but when it came to my great-aunt, I tried to behave.
0: So at a certain point, you get married.
1: Yes. So at some point it became, with mine and my grandma's breakdown, that I was going to have to possibly go back to Ohio. And, of course, I didn't want that. And so I was about. I'd been dating a boy for eight months and I didn't want to go back to Ohio and he didn't want me to go back to Ohio. So we drove down to the next state that didn't require all the same rules as ran and got married. And I was two months from being 16.
0: And did anyone tell you that this was a bad idea or they were just like, sure.
1: No, people, everybody in my family was actually really good with it. I think they were, they thought he was better for me than she was. It made more sense than going back to her. And we didn't, I guess then we were kind of a good match, but eventually we were not a good match. I was this girl from the city with a mouth and tough or saw myself as tough. And... Opinionated and this small southern town where women typically do what their husbands tell them to do and behave in a certain way was not what I was going to conform to. But I, even though his family had those values and I saw that and it would make me and him fight, I also valued. The relationship he had with his family. I was a little jealous of it. He had his mom and his dad and me and his mom butted head like crazy back then. We actually still talk. So we're fine now. You know, I don't talk to her like once a year on my birthday because me and him had the same birthday. He was still better for me than she was. It was, it wasn't easy. It was, you know, we stayed married for four years and there was a lot of jealousy and a lot of, his friends thought I was mean I remember one of I remember his cousin saying um back then that well you married the pretty one but I married the nice one because I'm a because I was a bitch. I guess I was they considered me pretty but I think also there was I was from a different state. I was from the north. I was the yankee. <laughs> and they I think some guys kind of found that intriguing or his friends so they kept saying how did you get her and things like that. But it ended up in a lot of jealousy. And eventually, when I was old enough to get out of that, I did. But I, he wasn't a bad person. He was good for me. We were horrible together. I was a horrible person to him. When we finally broke up, his dad saw me when I was there to get the divorce papers signed. And he said, I love my son. I love you like you're my daughter. You two never need to be back together. You are the worst people around each other. You bring out the worst in each other. And honestly, yeah, sometimes he brought out the my mom and me, which, oh, <laughs> it's just disgusting to even know that person could be in there. So then we get divorced, and I handle things the way I handle things. I run away. And that... That was my pattern. That was my pattern when I was with my mom. That was my pattern when things didn't work out with my grandma. I ran away and got married. When I didn't want to be with him, I ran away and went to the next biggest city to live. From then on, in my 20s, I dated guys, hooked up with guys. That was you know, where I got my attention, and a, a lot of my attention was based on my looks And I was a bartender. So I was in a field where it was fun and it was partying and it was staying after the bar and knowing all the other bar people. So I didn't have long-term relationships. I had a couple relationships that lasted like a year. And when I ended those, it was, I would just move to another city or another state. I didn't actually tell them I was doing that. Um, Any relationship that was actually, like, a good guy, maybe they were a good person, I had no interest at all. They didn't stand a chance. If they acted like they really weren't that into me, I was all about them. Or if I could see a, you know, you should be able to see a huge character flaw, I was all about them. But eventually I would get over it and I would end it and I would just move. You know, I moved to Tennessee wants to get out of a relationship. I moved to South Carolina wants to get out of a relationship. I moved back to Charlotte to get, you know, to end one. And that's actually how I met my husband was running from Tennessee to Ohio
0: to get out of a relationship. So eventually you get married. And then what happens from here when it's uh, in, I guess, relation to your mom?
1: He saw through her very quick. Well, I mean, I, you know, he didn't, I think he only met her twice when we got married. My wedding was the second time he had met her. The first time was a funeral. You know, I didn't go around unless I had to, but I'd go around for funerals on that side of the family. And I don't know, for some reason, I invited her to my wedding, which meant the stepdad came and and my wedding pictures. But, Luckily, the photographer knew I didn't want him there, but I also didn't want to be ugly about it. So she put him on the end so I could cut him out of my wedding pictures. Him and my mom. He tries to be nice to her, but the problem is, if you try to be nice to my mom, she's going to play you. for. She's going to give you all her victim shit if you try to be nice to her. So when she would show up, he would... Pay for her gas back, pay for everything while she was there, buy her cigarettes, all these things.
0: So here's a part of your life where your mom has not been around consistently for a very long time. You're not really seeing her. Your husband has only met her twice and then eventually you and your current husband have a child. And when you have your child, all of a sudden, your mom wants to be a bigger part of your life again. And she wants to be a bigger part of your life again, because she will be able to play the role of grandma. And like when you were young, she got to play the role to the outside world of mom and tell her friends of how she is a mom. And now here with whatever friends she has de jour, she'll be able to play the role of grandma to them and maybe relay stories to them of what a great grandma she is. And this is how she gets back into your life. So can you kind of explain, I guess, the first time you started to notice that and then how the, your boundaries at this point start to get broken down,
1: okay, well, wow. I couldn't have put that any better without <laughs> her wanting to play grandma to her friend du jour at the moment and tell them stories about her grandchild. Um, I think there was two things where she got more involved in my life. One, I had my son, so you wanted to have grandparents, and at the time, my husband didn't really have anything to do with his mom. But also, um, the stepdad had kicked her out or had moved her and dropped her off at her mom's and said, I'm done taking care of you. And she needed us to go get her stuff. And when we went to do that, he had moved her best friend in. From then on, the story is she left him on, it was of all her accord that she left him. But that's not how it went down because I was there and had to help move the stuff and saw the best friend there. But between him kicking her out so she only has the friend, you know, the new friends that she gets here and there, she needs me now. She needs me all the time now because she doesn't have them to take care of her. She needs somebody that she can fall back on all the time. And I have my son. So I'm a little more open to trying to let her in so he has a grandma. So one of the times she's here. She comes down here knowing good and well the brakes on her car do not work. I don't even know how she got here safely because when she backed out of my driveway to leave, there was no brakes. But I'm, I know my mother and I know the game in that. If I can just get there, they will fix my car. They will pay to fix my car. If they want me to go home, they'll pay to fix my car.
0: <laughs> what a strategy there. <laughs> so... <laughs> If I can just get my car there, they'll have to pay for it to leave.
1: That's exactly what she was thinking. I guarantee you. So we ended up stuck with her here an extra day that we don't plan on.
0: Just a genius move.
1: <laughs> well, she, she thinks she's genius very often. I mean, she could have got killed getting there without brakes. But...
0: And in her, in, in her mind, it was worth the risk.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm certain. Yeah, I'm certain. So, she she has to stay an extra day. And that year we had to take her to my husband's family get-together that they have after Christmas, which was just, his family was just like, after that, they just kept asking me, you came from her? How? how How is that? How are you? You turn out at all normal if you came from that. (laughs) And I just said, I just tried to be exactly the opposite, especially with my son. I try to do everything exactly the opposite. But I let we let her stay. Of course, we let her stay. What are we gonna do? You gotta fix her breaks before she can leave. So she's there on a Monday, and I have to go to work. And I think, okay, I'm gonna let her have an extra day with her grandson. Just her and her grandson, which I would never leave just her and my son. But my husband was going to be home fixing her brakes, And his brother was coming over to help also. So there was still a backup. <laughs> they were there. And I call every time. I probably called every hour or so and said, how is he? How's he doing? And every time I called, I got, oh, I'm so exhausted He is so much work. He's a three-year-old. Of course, he has a lot of energy, but he's so much work. He's exhausting me. I'm down in the basement taking a a cigarette break right now. Um, where's my three-year-old upstairs by himself? I mean, you just have—if you've ever had kids, three-year-olds—they get into everything. You can't leave them by themselves. And so then, that just keeps happening. Every time I call her, she. Happens to have just went down to the basement just then, exhausted by all the work that that three-year-old is. And I get home, and I see my husband, and I say, he didn't get the car fixed. He actually ended up having, he said they had to get it towed to another mechanic to fix it. Like, he's not a mechanic, so to a mechanic to fix it. We couldn't do it. And I said, what happened there? And he said, well, every time I came in the house, she was in the basement having a cigarette. And when I went to go out the door, our son grabbed my leg and begged me not to go out and to play with him. And it became apparent that she was not actually staying with him. So I just said, forget it, sent my brother home, came in the house, stayed and called a mechanic and got the car towed there. So I really, really I kicked myself that I should have been done then because that was the first time she proved to me that Even my son wasn't more important than what she wanted. I mean, literally, he wasn't more important than a cigarette. Literally. I don't even know why I still, I guess just because that's what I did. I pushed things under the rug. I don't say anything. So that's what I did. And she came back the next year. But this time, when my husband was exhausted, because it's that time of year, He went up, he was upstairs sleeping, finally getting some sleep, finally getting more than a few hours of sleep. And she talks when she goes, I guess, living by herself. She talks to herself. So she's going up the stairs and talking, but like talking very loudly, like she's trying to talk to me and I'm all the way in the kitchen on the other side of the house about something nonsensical. And if that's a word. And she wakes him up. Well, when she wakes him up, when he gets woke up out of a dead sleep like that, he's like, <gasps> you know, gasp and jumps up. And she started laughing and said, oh, did I spook you? And kept laughing and about it. And he didn't find it funny, to say the least. She came downstairs and I was doing dishes and she stands by me at the sink and says, I'm never going upstairs again and I'm never coming to your house again. Your husband just called me a crazy bitch and said, what the fuck's wrong with you? We've almost been married 20 years now. My husband's never called me a bitch. To my face. Probably to his friends, sure. But never to my face. He's never cussed me out. So I'm thinking, there's there's no way. And then when he came downstairs, I said, she said, you did this. Expecting him to be like, oh, bullshit. And he looked at me and with just the most somber tone said, that's putting it mildly. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, shit. I guess we're done here. <laughs> So she never came back. Um, Just the funny thing on her games, like her game with the brakes. Before she left, every time my husband would go to the store and she's on one of her visits, when you say, do you need anything? She says, oh, I'm almost out of cigarettes. Can you get me cigarettes? Every single time. So this time she's mad at him and she's not talking to him. She's doing her nose up in the air and her face turned to the side that she does when she gets mad. And he's standing at the door going, So all we need is bread in the store? And I'm like, That's all I need. And he goes, That's all we need is bread. Nothing else. Nothing else. A few times staring at her because he knows she wants cigarettes. She always does. Nope, says nothing. He knows more than backs out of the driveway. She picks up her purse, looks in her purse and goes, "Ah, I need cigarettes. Here, can you call your husband and tell him to get me cigarettes? I know her game and I'm not amused by her games. Well, okay, I kind of am amused by her games, but only if I can turn them back on her. So I dial his number and then I hand her the phone and go, I don't know what you want. You have to ask him because I'm going to make her ask for the cigarettes if she wants them. And she's like sitting there waving the pack at me like, you see what it is? I'm like, I don't know what they are. I don't smoke here. You're going to have to ask him. And he answers and she asks for the cigarettes begrudgingly. And he comes home and he's like, what was that? I'm surprised that she called me. And then I told him and he, he loved it. He thought that was just the best thing ever That. I had reversed her game on her, but then that was the end of them. They never saw each other since then.
0: So after that, how has your mom, I guess, interjected herself in your life since?
1: Um, ever since that, more so than ever, just it's the victim, what she needs from me. What does she need from me? What can I do from her? You know, can I pay this bill? Can I pay that bill? I don't trust sending her money. So I would do I had it where I could, I had her account number for her electric electricity bill and I can call and do that when she needs something. I don't send her money. Okay. I'll order it on Amazon and I'll have it shipped to your house. But it was a constant every single month. She needs something every single month. She needs this bill paid. And then she turns around and tells me about something frivolous and stupid she bought. And I'm like, Dude, I just paid your electric bill. (laughs) And you're telling me how you bought this stupid ass scene on TV shit. But eventually it just gets to where she's constantly needing, needing constantly calling about what she needs. Um, But she won't come here. So it's like, you know, feel bad for her because I only will come to see her once a year. And she only gets to see her grandson maybe once a year. He barely knows who she is, but about five years ago, we really, I started hitting my breaking point because she was now getting social security disability. So now she was being taken care of without having to work again. She never worked. She lived with my stepdad, then she got social security disability. Before that, she got social security from my dad dying. But she doesn't get very much. That's why she's always needing some. And she goes to the Social Security office one day, and they, I guess, say to her, well, back in the 80s, you got benefits for widow benefits. You know, if you divorce this guy that you said you haven't been with for 10 or 15 years, who really hasn't worked that much in his life, you'd get more money drawing your widow benefits. But you can't be married to this guy and draw your widow benefits. So she's got the landlord that's an attorney. So he does the divorce for her. She goes to get Social Security drawing more money drawing off my dad. And they say, okay, we need the death certificate. Well, she comes to me for that because, well, who else would she come to? It's always coming to me for things. And I was a paralegal, so I didn't know how to do those. Like, I know where to go and get a death certificate easily, you know. It it would be easier for me than her. So I don't see that as a big ask until I get it. And it says divorced. (laughs) And I've been told my entire life that they were not divorced, that they had started divorce and he died before the divorce was final. So I think, well, it says they're divorced. And I call her and tell her that, and I already sent it into the Social of Security office because honestly, I thought they must know something. They must know this wasn't really the divorce didn't go through. She got widow benefits all those years, so she must. They must know something. She couldn't have really been divorced, or they wouldn't have paid them because you have to be married ten years to get the widow benefits, and they were only married seven. But of course, I send that in. Social Security rep calls her and says. You don't qualify for window benefits. I don't know how you got them the first time. And she said, well, the informant on the death certificate, which would have been my grandma on my dad's side, told them that they were divorced, told, you know, on the death certificate said they're divorced. But really they were just separate. Well, how do you prove that she's not divorced? I end up getting the death certificate. Um, I end up. Long story short on that, getting um, trying to get the docket from the archives that say, yes, this this was started, but it never shows a divorce decree being filed. As long as the divorce was filed and the divorce decree never actually filed, then I can kind of prove it, right? You know, that's my way. I get a hold of the clerk and she calls me back 45 minutes later and says, honey, they were divorced. Here's the divorce decree. And I'm sitting there looking at a divorce decree, which I've looked at several divorce decrees in my field, and it's filed, and it's July 1980, and he died October 1980. And I tell her, there's absolutely nothing you can do. D- this, you're not going to get this. He is divorced. I can't prove that you weren't. And she screams and has a fit with me, is calling me over and over to the point where I'm just expecting the call and I'm pissed off that the call is coming. I know it's coming. I know she's calling me at work and that's really not okay. But everything is a new scheme. She has a new scheme in her head of how we're going to tell them, convince them that she was divorced. She wasn't divorced. And I keep saying, drop it. You were divorced. No, that was just custody. And I'm, don't act like I'm stupid. I work at a law firm. I'm leaving out a legal document. You were divorced. <laughs> and she says, well, you're just so damn smart. You're just you just like your dad. You're so so smart. You had to prove that you were smart. And you had to go digging. And I'm like, I was trying to help. I was digging to help you. But no, I had to go digging and prove that she was divorced. And it's all my fault. And I need to get my great aunt who I love dearly to admit or to tell the social security office that she wasn't actually divorced. And i am just, I'm not going to make her commit fraud. I'm done. This is over. And my mom just does the whole victim thing of, Oh, well, I don't know what I'm going to do then. And hangs up on me, which is pretty common when she doesn't get her way, she calls me back. Everything's okay. Nothing ever happened. But no, at that point, I realized one of the few things I had actually believed that it came out of her mouth, I actually had believed they weren't divorced. And I don't know why that affects me so much, but I think it was just, I believed they were not divorced. Surely she wouldn't have got these benefits if they were divorced. And then to find out when you're 40 something, no, you absolutely were divorced. You absolutely lied to me this entire time. And when I try to help you, you turn it on me and get angry that I had to prove how smart I was.
0: So after this event, your mom is kind of still in and out of your life with all of these little things and it begins to drive you crazy as far as her, her needs go And, you know, what she asks of you. And eventually you end up getting some health issues.
1: Oh, yes. I, at that time, I had just started obsessing over when's the next call? What does she need now? Just seeing her number on my phone, right up my phone, never answer it. Just let it go to voicemail. But still, even before you listen to the voicemail, building myself up to listen to the voicemail, deal with Whatever we got to deal with now. It's just at that point, she's nothing more than an annoyance and a burden. My blood pressure is like just skyrocketing. I'm stressed.
0: So, for one second, when you see the voicemail is, is there, you know, can you walk us through, I guess, the mental preparation, your body preparation for even pressing the button to listen?
1: I probably almost wait a day. It's just like that sinking feeling in your stomach when you see the voicemail and you're like, God, what now? Sometimes I don't respond to the first one. Sometimes it takes two or three before I'm like, fine, I guess I actually have to respond and make sure she's not dead (laughs) or on death's door or something serious isn't happening. Because every voice, when you finally listen to the voicemail and you don't necessarily answer because it doesn't seem like anything, then the next one's a little more dramatic. And then the next one's so very dramatic and you're like, okay I guess you spent yourself building up for days just that I don't want to do this just I like talking about it I could just see my hands like falling off and I just oh I that dread that that's the best word for it the dread when you see it and the sinking feeling in your stomach okay, let me take myself out of my nice little life and deal with this bullshit again.
0: It's interesting that you say that, you know, because you're living your life. You have your husband, you have your child. You're doing the best you can on that side of things. And your mom is a, a long ways away, not that far, but, you know, she's a ways away. And it's like, that inbox maybe for you is it just her reaching over on the other side of the fence without asking. And you're like, you're kind of just maybe sitting there being like, I didn't ask for this. Like, like this is a YP. This is a, your problem. And why are you making everything my problem are you noticing here you know obviously your health issues are are happening are you know are you talking to anyone besides your husband saying like my health is failing because of this person
1: oh yes and of course my husband is like you can't keep doing this to yourself you can't keep being this stressed it's not our problem but i'm like well she is my mother and that's the only thing that keeps me i don't like her She's not anybody I would have anything to do with, but she is my mother. And that it keeps in my head is she is my mother. I have to deal with it. It's not my problem, but it is because I don't have any symptoms. I have to be the one to deal with it. Uh, Except for when she gets that friend here and there. And then every time she gets the friend, I'm like, Oh, please stick, please stick. And then she calls me and tells me what horrible thing they did to her. And why they're not friends anymore. And I'm like, Oh, not another one. Please. I mean, Please find a boyfriend. Please, something. Please, be somebody else to take this burden off of me. Why? I didn't even live with her that long. Why is she my burden?
0: Because you said you said right there, this is um, this is your my mother. Like was that kind of burned into you from her, or is that something that was just in your head because that's what society tells you?
1: I think it was just in my head. I don't really remember her ever saying it. I just, it was in my head and I've heard my great aunt who I have so much respect for and I adore say before, you know, you only have one mom. And when I finally cut my mom off completely, I told my great aunt and I thought, she's going to say, you only have one mom. And she said, she was like backing me. She was like, she's the worst person I've ever known. She's a horrible person. I don't know why you've ever dealt with her this long. And I was like, but you always say you only have one mom. And she said, not her. She wasn't a mom. She was like, I don't mean, I've never directed that at you. She wasn't not a mom. I mean, you only have one mom when you actually have a mom. She doesn't count. Mm -hmm. But I think for a long time, Especially, that was a huge relief to hear the person that I really cared about how they thought about me tell me, oh, no, I didn't. I wasn't talking about her. She, You're right. She's an awful person.
0: So is there a, like a straw that broke the camel's back when you eventually do go no contact with your mom? Uh,
1: yes. <laughs> um, I think at that point, once after the Social Security thing um, and finding out she was divorced... And her just harassing me every day, trying to get me to do something to make it better, to fix it. I really started seeing her less. I wasn't even necessarily going every year. And accepting her calls less. That's when the calls really just started sitting in the voicemail box. Until they would seem drastic enough that maybe I actually had to deal with it. But um, she ends up like going in the hospital. And... So then the calls are, she's in the hospital, she's out of the hospital. She's in the hospital and she's crying, screaming that I have to come get her because they're going to put her in a nursing home and she'd rather die than go to a nursing home when really they want to put her in a rehab facility to get better. And she needs doctors and nurses to get better and go home from whatever infection she had going on at the time. But I go get her. And I drive an hour and a half to the hospital she's in and then take her home another hour and a half and drive myself home another three hours at that point. And on that ride, she starts for some reason telling me how my dad killed himself, how he jumped in front of the car on purpose. And I'm like, that's not what I was told. Nobody ever said that. Nobody that was there has said that. But she sees it hurts. It hurts. And it becomes a regular thing after that. She keeps telling me in conversations, like every conversation she brings up that he killed himself. Even if that was true, do you tell your child that when it hurts them? Like, it's like she gets off on seeing me be hurt. I, I don't know that she gets off on it. I think somehow that makes her look better if he did that. And then she makes a remark about my husband and he, it's like a backhanded remark. It's, well, the one good thing I can say about him is he really loves you and your son. And I'm like, one good thing my ass. There's a lot of good things. He's a great husband. He's a great person. You know, there's all these things. He doesn't like you. That doesn't, that's not a character flaw. Anybody with character don't like you. Eventually. But, She ends up bringing, eventually she brings my son into it too. So she's been saying things about my dad, trying to put him down, what memory I have of him. She started trying to say things about my husband. And then she gets a settlement because of her mom dying. Which she only got as much as, she she only should have got half of what she got. Because she has a brother who's living. But She tells her landlord attorney that she's the only living child and they go to probate court and she tells them she's the only living child to the judge and she gets the entire settlement. So now she's got a fairly large cash settlement that she's got to hold up. And that's her way to get to my son. She's got money. Now she's got an end to get to my son and he's, you know, turning a teenager and I've, for God knows why I did it, but I let her have, I put her number on his cell phone and his on hers. And she calls him one day and says, oh, I'm getting this settlement and I'm going to get a new car and I'm going to give you my 2000 Monte Carlo Super Sport. Not the appropriate car when your son does turn 16. He's not yet, but when he does turn 16, It's not what I want him to have. I want him to have a safe, as safe as possible starter car, (laughs) not a muscle car. And so I get on the phone with her and she says, did he tell you what I'm going to do? Did he tell you that I'm giving him the car? No, that's not okay. And how dare you go to him first? Not me. So I tell her, you know, That's not okay. I don't want him to have that car. Me and his dad will take care of him having a car. We'll get him the kind of car we want him to have when he's that age. And she said, well, then he'll just be angry with you, and he'll just hate you. And when he's 18, I'll give him the car anyway. If he even stays till he's 18, you didn't. And that was just like, did you seriously just compare? me leaving, like diminishing it, like it's nothing. I was just a bratty teenager who up and left before I was 18. It's like she was, I felt like she's comparing what I consider my son's home, a home that I've worked really hard to be exactly the opposite of what I grew up in. And you're going to compare that home my son has to the hell that I grew up in? And then even talking to my husband about it, I think he brought up a point that I always am afraid. My biggest fear is that my son won't have a connection with me at some point. You know, I've tried to do everything to make sure we have memories and we go and do all these things. And there's a bond and there's, and you just said my son might not stay to he's 18. Like he might hate me too. And you're going to use this for him to hate me and take your side, (laughs) but I didn't, I actually don't think I thought that far in depth about that when I was on the phone tour, I just got off angry, and then started thinking more about it, and the angrier I got, the more pissed off I got, and about the same time, she called within a day or two saying, I need you, you have to come take care of me for a week, I'm in a new job. I don't have a week to take off. I don't have vacation time yet. My son's getting ready to start high school. But no, I have to come take care of her because she's out of the hospital and she wouldn't go to the place that they said she needed to go with rehab and to get better. And the nurse called me and said, no, it's not that you need to come here. She needs to go to a facility where there's medical professionals to help her get her strength back and help her get better. They're like, you coming is not going to do anything. But so I tell her, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not taking off from a new job, which is like my dream job that I couldn't even believe I got. And now I'm going to take a week off when I don't even have the PTO yet. No, my son's getting ready to start high school. I'm going to take him out of his first week of a new school. Absolutely not. I said, I know you and my husband don't like each other. I will come get you. I will bring you back here. I will only work from home that week. Because I work from home mostly anyway. I can still get my son to school. Because my husband can't. He goes in too early and gets off too late to take him to school. And I say, and you and him, you and my husband are just going to have to suck it up and deal with each other. And she, nope, screaming, crying, and then just hangs up on and when she hung up, I told myself that was gonna be the last time she hung up on. Me. And she I knew it. I told my husband she's gonna call in two days and act like nothing happened. She called and she laughed and on a message, let it answer, said, Oh, I'm sorry. I was being a jackass. You thought you probably find that hilarious. No, I don't find it funny. I'm pissed, I'm done. And so then I just stopped accepting any of her calls until she eventually got through by trying to use a lift on my account.
0: (laughs) So, you know, after this being the straw that broke the camel's back here, have there been Hoover attempts since?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, she had the landlord, you know, him calling, she had the hospital calling, um,
0: so she so she, so so she's using other people to try to get a hold of you during this period.
1: Oh, absolutely. The hospital, the nurses, the her friend, the landlord attorney, she even bothered reaching surprisingly reaching out to my husband because I had blocked her and she went and bought another phone and said, "Oh, I haven't been able to get through to you." And I texted that number and I said, You haven't been able to get through to it. It wasn't your phone. I blocked you. I will also block this number. I'll block a hundred numbers if I have to. So that's when she reached out to my husband. But I just knew he was talking to her when I heard him laughing and saying, he gets this funny, like, laugh whenever he's had to deal with her, and he's laughing, and he's going, are you fucking crazy? Are you fucking insane? Like, laughing at her. And she's screaming, raging that you don't know what I'll do to you, what I can do to you, and that she almost died, and he's not letting me talk to her, and he's keeping me away, and that's when he's like, are you fucking insane? Your daughter wouldn't let me not, you know, if she wanted to talk to you, she would talk to you. Nobody's gonna push her down now. She's not... (laughs) that person, but.
0: So you're getting these Hoover attempts in, you know, right now you're always seem to be playing goalie in the sense of you're kind of waiting for what's going to happen. And you always have to try and keep whatever is happening out of the net. And as far as you go, when dealing with this, your whole entire life in, in different types of ways, you know, um, it's come and gone, come and gone. And towards the end here, you might realize that you've been a codependent person in a lot of ways. And it shows up here specifically with your mom more than in other ways, or at least what you realize with your health issues, you start obsessing and, uh, you have ruminating thoughts your your blood pressure she's affecting you in a lot of ways with just how um intrusive she is in your life and how you how you still feel that you are in some ways um have a duty to, to toward her and it's amazing that you've come all this way to this point of your life And that you are um, seemingly, I don't know you very well, well well-adjusted to what has happened. Obviously, there are a lot of issues that may have been resolved or unresolved. And you say to yourself, from what I hear during your story, that it's a very – I'm not saying you're George Costanza – but I'm saying it's a George Costanza theory of, you know, whatever that person's doing, and he said it with himself, which was, uh, whatever my instincts were, if they're, if they're all wrong, just do the opposite. But you're looking at it as your mom, whatever her instincts are, if I want to survive, just be the opposite. So when it comes to you in your life right now, and the issues that were created from this life that you've were born into and have tried to make your way through and you made it all this way and you should be very proud of yourself that you made it all this way you're married you have a child you have a good good life uh, and uh, but are there other issues that day to day might get in your way or uh, have you dealt with those? And if you have, or if you haven't, how are you going or how, how have you gone about it?
1: Um,
0: was that, was, was, was that a lot in
1: <laughs> one question? <yeah. laughs> um, I definitely have been trying to re train myself from some things. Um, most of everything I do is based on, do the opposite. But I did inherit something from her. And once I met my husband, that stopped mostly because I think I just by seeing him, and he's a really good person, and that's how you are this is how you treat people and treat things. Um, but automatically trying to self-defend myself and make up an excuse, a lot of my 20s was make up an excuse uh, look, think quick on your feet get an excuse to come up with why you just did that don't admit to it and just say i fucked up i'm sorry but con- like, just automatically be thinking of that excuse but i learned not to do that and i learned that That's the things I regret about the things wherever, whenever something happened and I was quick to make up an excuse for why I regret those times. I hate those times, but I don't know if that really answered everything you were.
0: So right now your life is about, you know, if I screw up, I'm taking responsibility for for that on the way I behaved. And when I apologize, my apology means something and I'm never going to do it again.
1: Absolutely. That is absolutely where I was trying to go with that, because when she does apologize, when it comes to the pervert and she tries to apologize, she says, I'm sorry. And this is after he kicked her out. So but she says, I'm sorry, but I left him. No, you didn't. And I was 30, so that doesn't matter. You needed to leave him when I was a child and this happening, but it's I'm sorry, but do you know what he did to me? I'm sorry, but here's what he did to me. I'm sorry, but here's how I had it worse. And so I don't want to do I I don't want to follow up I'm sorry with a butt. It needs to be I'm sorry, I screwed up. And I I can even see early on when my husband following up, I'm sorry with a butt and him getting aggravated, he's like, You're sorry, you're sorry. That's just it. You know.
0: So, before we end off our talk, uh, are there any words of wisdom or advice for uh, people who have gone through or are going through the same thing?
1: Well, I have two things on my desk in red on a post it that I look at all the time. And I think those are I'm not responsible for her emotions. You're not responsible for somebody else's actions. You're not responsible for somebody else's emotions. The problems they have are most likely their problems. They created them. I'm having to teach myself and remind myself on a daily basis, I'm not responsible if she feels bad about this now. I'm not responsible if she feels bad about not getting to see her grandson. You know what I am responsible for? I'm re- responsible for making sure she doesn't victimize my son later on. So she doesn't, when he's old enough, start going, I'm the victim. Look how what I need and... He's getting to an age where he can help her. Oh, my God. I think about if she gave him that car, how many strings would that car have came with? You have to come see me. You have to go do this for me. I gave you that car. And so basically, I'm not responsible for her emotions, and I'm only responsible for protecting my family. And for somebody else out there, that's you're responsible for you and your loved ones. You're not responsible for them.
0: Thank you, Gemma, for being here with me today, with everyone today and sharing your story, what you went through was a bit different from most or the other family stories that we've had because you, you got the experience of, of leaving your mom before she came back into your life as far as how you uh, lived with her growing up. And, you know, you were able to feel love from somewhere else, which is which is very rare, uh, before you get set out back into the world again. And it's amazing where you are right now and how much work it took to kind of change the frame of mind that you have as far as um, understanding uh, generational trauma and how you're putting an end to it right now. It's really impressive. So I really want to thank you for sharing uh, your story with us today.
1: Thank you so much. Um, I'm glad to, I hope it helps. It helps me to listen to other people's stories and it's a day by day thing. I mean, I I caught myself yesterday driving, thinking for a second, how she feel about this. And I said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I looked at my son next to me and said, that's what matters.
0: Well, thank you so much, Gemma, for sharing with us today. And before we end our show, for others that want to be a guest on our show, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button there that says guest form. Click on that button, read all the instructions, and then either send us a guest form email or send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at com. And if you also go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com, you can find a support group if you need support. At the top of the page is a support group button. And when you click on that, it takes you to our very own safe social network. We have a forum board there where people post and people answer. We have integrated Zoom support meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night and every other Thursday afternoon. We have episodes that never made it to air. We have ad-free episodes. And if you just want to support the show, join our support group. So please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com today to get that support. And if you need even more support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. DomesticShelters.org offers you an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you are experiencing. You can connect with local resources like shelters and find ways to heal and move forward. So please do go to DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource today. And once again, I want to thank Gemma for being a guest on our show. So from Gemma and myself, we hope you have a good night.